Hello, my name is Kiros. I'm Monica Michelle. And we are the co-hosts of the Invisible Not Broken podcast. Uh, this week we're going to do something new. We're going to uh, talk about, do a roundtable discussion and talk about the first thing that someone deals with when they have an invisible illness, which is convincing your doctor that you actually are sick. And we're going to be doing these roundtable discussions once a month, hopefully, if we can get our schedules in sync so that you'll have two different perspectives on on invisible illness with two very different illnesses and two different viewpoints. We're going to intersperse these with our interviews that we're doing so that you get uh, multiple different things out of this podcast, not just listening to someone talk about what they're dealing with, but also dealing with some of the issues. And to keep you coming back to listen to more. So if you like us, please press that like button, say really embarrassingly nice things on our iTunes reviews, and we will hopefully see you soon. So we've both had way too much experience with doctor's visits getting bounced around. Do you want to talk about how long it took you to get diagnosed? Um, so the easiest one to talk about is my um, dairy allergy that I had gone to, let's see, they sent me to an allergist, which proved that I wasn't skin allergic to anything. They sent me to an ear, nose, throat guy to make sure that there wasn't something going on up there, um, you know, that was uh, dealing with all this stuff. Um, let's see, what other... I went, oh, a gastroenterologist, which I got to have the fun experience of having a, co- a colonoscopy. Yeah, yeah. That was, that was joyful. That's, um, that's a special kind of crazy on how to get oh, yeah. diagnosed. Yeah, and... and None of it turned up anything. Um, it ended up me backtracking through my calendar to figure out because I had the reason I went to my ear nose throat guy is I had a really bad sinus infection before, and it threw the medicine they put me on upset my stomach. So we thought maybe it was still just that. So we went back to him to see if there was a new medicine they could put me on because um, I'd had this pretty severe sinus infection, which is what started all this. And um, they put, I mentioned it in my interview that they put me on seven days of antibiotics, four days off, seven days of antibiotics, four days off seven more days of antibiotics. And it took me going back to my calendar going, this really got bad right after all of that. And I kept going back to my doctor and we, the gastroenterologist did all their fun little tests and nothing was coming up. Why was I constantly sick? Why was I constantly having diarrhea? Why was I constantly having gas? And nothing was, you know, no answer. And I finally went online myself, researched, you know, the problems that I was having and they said, you know, maybe you have a food allergy. Try doing this elimination diet where you start with rice and um, chicken broth. And that's all you're allowed to have for a week. So I'm going to backtrack you just a little bit because you, you said something that was really important. I think it's uh, universal for everyone who's sick. That moment where they tell you nothing appeared on the test. Yes. Is that like the sinking feeling? Like you are being like on trial and called out in front of everyone. And yes. Do you want to talk about that? Because I could definitely do it too. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was the hardest part was because, you know, there's nothing wrong with you. Then why am I constantly in the bathroom? Yeah. How am I the sickest, healthiest person ever? <laughs> right. You know, and, and, you know, they want to throw drug after drug after drug at you and... You know, the side effects from those drugs were, at times, worse than the initial problem. It's very much made the odds ever be in your favor whenever you, like, start a new prescription and then this is how is that going to affect everything else. But we are talking about getting diagnosed, and I'm good at getting off topic. So (laughs) I will slide back on into what you're talking about. um, I I did this, and you have to basically, I said, it's nothing but rice and chicken broth for a week. Then you slowly add one type of food back in every couple of days because you you know you need to have it for a couple of days that way you don't like 
oh, two days later you have a thing, but what was it of the three things that I added back in then? So you have to add it in slowly. And it took like three weeks before I added back in dairy, and all of a sudden, oh my God, I am sick as a dog again. And I step, you're supposed to step back and then add something else in to make sure that it wasn't just a previous thing taking, you know, taking on later. So for you, it's basically you had to do your doctor's job. You had to do the research. You had to diagnose yourself and then do your own experiments at home. Yes. To find out what was wrong. And then pay all the medical bills to get diagnosed. Yeah. Because we're here in America. So anyone's listening to this not in America, we have to pay a lot of money to get diagnosed. Yes. Because, I mean, with the different specialists, the the colonoscopy alone was, I want to say $1,400. That was with my insurance. Yeah. And that's not including the, you know, 20 or so doctor's appointments, the th- four other different specialists that I went to. You know, the the cost goes really quickly. The The only thing that was my favor is I was reaching my limit on my deductible every year. So that sounds like point, a celebration. Woo-hoo! At a certain point, it's like, oh, hey, from here on out, it's just, you know, I don't, I don't pay for anything. So that's great. That's like a celebration in my house. Like it usually happens in February, by the way, in my yep. house. Like we are, we have met that three thousand dollars by February or March, Me too. and that's like, yay, party! I can go to the emergency room when it's bad. <laughs> me too. Um, but for me, like it took me like I've been sick since I was eight. Right. I didn't get an actual full diagnosis. I was diagnosed with a bunch of other things. One thing that is also one of the things, but I didn't get a full diagnosis until my late thirties. So that's 20-something years. I'm good at math. 20-something. We'll go with something <laughs> years of doctor specialists. So the amount that you spent, it was just my parents had to spend that yeah, through the whole time the I was 18. And then I, just in the last few years, we've spent close to $20,000 on wheelchairs and doctors. And more. when you get diagnosed with what I have, Eller Stainless, you then have to go in for a whole bunch of other tests for things like cherry mouth formation, which is the brain going down the spine or pots. And um, yeah, you're visiting like every specialist and no one can agree on who, um, on which specialists you're supposed to be seeing. So you get bounced all around, especially something like pots where it's a totally invisible disease and it's a heart issue where your heartbeat, your heart is perfect. So you, you always hear those sinking words. Oh, it's fine. You're perfect. It's like, okay, why am I fainting? Why do I feel like I'm like on every speed drug that you can, <laughs> speed drug? Yes, I am a suburban mom. My God, that sounded bad. Uh, Nancy Reagan. <laughs> Yay. Um, but it's really disconcerting and no one can explain it unless they actually know what POTS is. And it can also be fatal if you don't know what it is, which I found out the hard way. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. It was, that was almost the diagnosis for me was I had gone in for dental work and between being laid down with my feet up and then getting a shot that like raised my heart rate and then the gas, which lowered my heart rate. Was so really if I ever start doing the podcast alone, we know it's because she's yeah, dying. Yeah, I've died in a dentist. I mean, you're going to fucking die. It better not be in a dentist's office. That is like, <laughs> your last images are. <laughs> or if she starts doing it, let me something's happened to me. So, you know, we're so both you, kind of you on will, that rack. We will let track. you all know if we both do not survive a dentist visit. <laughs> but the tests are so weird. And, like, how you get diagnosed is so odd. And it almost feels like it's accidental on how you can get a diagnosis. Like, for you, you had to, like, actually do your own research. Right. For me, it was going to... A specialist doctor who is concierge that costs two thousand dollars. We're gonna keep talking about medical costs here because we live in America and this can bankrupt people. 
So I was lucky enough that I was working and I had a business that I owned. I made enough money to afford this doctor. And it took him six months of just watching how I was sitting and what I was doing before he just had this light bulb moment. Wow. So it's such a, it's almost like an accident that you can get diagnosed with an invisible illness. You can suffer for years and then someone might go, hey, that looks weird and I think I know what's going on. Yeah, and I, I ran across that with another friend of mine that, that was starting to get a gallery of dairy allergy after the same thing me where they yeah. had lots of antibiotics. I'm like, oh, I bet this is what it is. Here, try this. And he's like, oh my God, this is what it is. And it saved him, you know, all those two years that I went through trying to figure out what was wrong with me. <laughs> and how nice of you to sacrifice those two years. <laughs> well, <laughs> and then I, then, I, then I emailed him the little list I have of all the things that have dairy in them that you don't know they have dairy in them. And he's like, what do you mean I can't eat this, 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 this anymore? I'm like, yeah, welcome to the, the, the new wonderful world of dairy allergy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, we have the Ehlers-Danlos Facebook group right. where I am not fucking kidding. Like, half of it is... Am I dying or is this Ehlers-Danlos? Like we just keep, because it's such a weird disorder. It's your connective tissue, which is your entire body. body. So it's just this big question of, is this Ehlers-Danlos still or do you need to get tested for something else? And I want to talk about something that we both can absolutely understand, which is getting diagnosed with an invisible illness and the issues of pain scale, because right. <laughs> you just like sighed. And I know that, yep. I know that expression. And we both had experiences going into ERs where... You know, it's like we are able to do stoic like no one else. And they look at you and they go, no, no, no. If this was really what was wrong, you'd be screaming. So I'll come in with my shoulder like all the way forward into my neck. And they'd be like, no, no, if it was dislocated, yeah. you'd be screaming. So Yeah, when you have a, an in, a lot of people with invisible disabilities, you are in pain so often, so much of the day that you basically learn to ignore it. Otherwise, mm -hmm. you can't function. And so your pain tolerance goes up and up and up until... You know, um, I didn't realize how high my pain tolerance has gone until I had surgery a couple of years ago, and they gave me morphine, and it dulled my ability to block it. Oh. And suddenly, it's like I hurt more on the morphine <laughs> than I did off the morphine. I'm like, don't, don't, don't give me more. Don't more. It actually makes me hurt more. <laughs> I have well placed walls here. Exactly. <laughs> They've taken a lifetime to build. I understand completely because I didn't believe them that I was dislocating. Because I would be in agony every day, but I could handle it. And dislocations to me meant big, scary football players right. fall on ground, screaming their faces off. Right. That's a dislocation. So I'm like, no, no, I must be on the mild side of it. Until I went <laughs> into the dentist, another dentist story. And I was like, look, this just has been bothering me for two weeks. And they turned pale and they're like, oh my God, you have an exposed nerve. You should have been in. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. So like my, um, we have a different pain issue. Like my, my pain is if it's a six, that's a really good day. That means I'm able to walk. Six is awesome. I hover around an eight or a nine a lot of times. So I can have massive dislocations. Like he's walked me, watched me walk around my yes. canes today. I have a dislocated hip, but I'm still kind of like ambling around and crossing my legs. Cause it's just better I guess but the pain scale can really set off getting an actual diagnosis or proper medical treatment well and it also can can confuse people around you because I know that with my partners you know they're like you know you you're getting around fine you don't look like you're in pain and I'm like I'm dealing mm -hmm. and I because I've gotten so good at just you know blocking the pain out that you know I'm hobbling and I'm not even realizing that I'm kind of like limping along and they're like, are you all right? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. Why? Oh, you're humbling. Oh, yeah, yeah. I guess now that I think about it, yeah, I actually am in a lot of pain. <laughs> I'm not really aware of it because it's just this is day to day and I'm, I'm walking down the street. And stay tuned next month because we are going to be covering relationship sex and disabilities. We are going to have so much to talk about that. <laughs> There's so much to chat about that. But right now we're going to talk about the, um, the diagnosis issue and yeah. how... Um, 
incredibly demoralizing, at least for my experience, because I went, I wasn't able to walk for most of my teen years. I was a dancer, and then I would spend three months not being able to step down. Wow. And if any of the women are listening or teenagers are listening, I think everyone who, and this is not just a woman issue, but I feel like teen girls get thrown off to the side very easily with hysteria. And yeah. one thing I'm going to throw out there and get really dark for a second is teenage girls who have experienced sexual assault. And there's some sort of thing in the medical community that's decided that if you have been sexually assaulted, that means that all of your pain is in your mind. Yeah. And that is one of the most infuriating things. And not to say that only women are sexually assaulted and experience this, but I do feel like there's something in our medical uh, group that well, really we, feels we like... Have most yeah. doctors being men who don't have any experience, you know, where yeah. you have, and I hate to get political for a second, legislators who... Oh, we get political. <laughs> I'll get political. Fuck. Legislators <laughs> who think that, you know, women don't have these issues and don't need these this help and, yeah. Anyway. But we also have a history of women being told they're hysterical. Right. And, like, this that wandering... Like oh, I have, I have old medical texts I love to read just to, like, get really angry sometimes <laughs> because watching the news doesn't quite get me there. Um, tell sarcasm, by the way. And, um... We do have a huge medical history of ignoring women's physical problems and deciding that they are strictly mental. And I think that goes even further with sexual assault victims, that a lot of the women I've talked to, myself, um, the second they hear that you have been sexually assaulted or that you've had any mental issues before, like I had had an eating disorder, thank you, ballet, um, you suddenly are no longer a... Um, trustworthy person to them like you are automatically going to be not believed and the best yeah. moment that I can remember of as a teenager was getting the last test they were going to give me because I kept telling my mom it was in my head I needed to be in a mental institution I was obviously crazy oh, fine. no reason you are healthy as can be there's no reason you should be able shouldn't be walking and they said last test we're going to pump you full of the uh, nuclear antibodies mm -hmm. And I remember just thinking, um, spider, bite me, please. I, <laughs> this is how you get superpowers, god damn it. <laughs> and no, I did not get bitten. So my superpower is rubber band girl. I can, yeah, break and bend in fun ways. So I was sitting there 16... Now you go back into place as you do, right? And if you heard the snap, that was my shoulder going back in place. Um, <laughs> so I was watching the, the lab tech watch as my, my visual was coming up. And it was my legs. And it was red and orange and yellow and there was this one little spot of blue and all I'd heard for my whole time was you're crazy this is in your head you're nuts and all of a sudden it was proof and it was visual and I broke down I imagine yeah just and it turned out to be something different than what I have now is reflex sympathetic dystrophy which is considered one of the most painful conditions and had to have a whole bunch of stuff done after that but just to finally have I was actually willing to have the painful stuff go on with a big smile on my face just knowing there was a name and it existed yes. and I was not well I am crazy but not in that way <laughs> not that way yeah um one of the things that we had talked about before is is you know the the you're fine yeah you're fine because we are brilliant at being fine yes uh, you know what fine stands for, right? <laughs> Fucked up, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. So, hey. Oh, that means to be my middle name. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 from the outside, we talked about this a little bit in my podcast, that I look like the big bearish guy that you would ask to help move furniture and stuff. Oh, yeah. But, you know, it really, most days it really hurts to walk. I can 
get in a car and be in the passenger seat and start having shooting nerve pain up and down my leg that makes my leg like bump, bounce up and down and you know <laughs> my poor partner thought I was like just bouncing my leg and I'm like he's like are you nervous about something? I said no my nerves are firing and it hurts and it hurts <laughs> and it hurts <laughs> you know but two seconds before I was fine yeah and there's air quotes there <laughs> and that's also one thing it's like can you replicate it in a doctor's office and I actually had an oh. intern, God love the 24-year-old interns are so fucking cute, <laughs> looked at me and said, well, your wrist dislocates all the time. Can you replicate that for me? I'm like, I'm sorry. Did you just fucking ask me to dislocate my own wrist in front of you? <laughs> I just want to be really clear when I write to your boss exactly what you wanted me to do. No, no. Can you do it one more time for the my little iPhone video? Like, <laughs> but it is an issue of like you walk in, it's almost like the broken TV set that you bring in or your dog or your that's car. been sick. That, or like, your car is yes. making this noise and you go into the shop and it's not doing it. You're like, no, no, I swear to you, this has been like a disaster all week. I, I don't know how this is not happening right now. Yeah. Like when I went in for my POTS test, which is basically the diagnostic is beats per minute difference between standing and sitting. And yeah. I was terrified which to go help in. Which does not help this, but I was so scared that I would go in and my heart would suddenly just decide it was going to work perfectly. And thank you, it did not. It was, it behaved by misbehaving. Same thing with the Ehlers-Danlos though. Like it's yeah. a weird disorder where there's certain doctors that you have to get a diagnosis from. If those doctors don't sign off on it, you're suspected Ehlers-Danlos, which right. really fucks up your disability. So I actually had to go in after three years of living with this, knowing how to deal with this, and sit there and listen to a doctor tell me everything I already knew. Had to prove to him by showing him all my weird little party tricks that I can do. <laughs> and uh, it, was, it was a very demoralizing experience. And that actually touches on something else I wanted to talk about, which is, you know, you get a referral after referral after referral. You bounce from doctor to doctor to doctor. And when you do, you're telling, you tell Dr. A, this is what I'm dealing with. And they do all their tests and stuff. Now, I'm going to give you a referral to Dr. B. You go to Dr. B and you can explain everything you've already gone through with Dr. A. And they want to run oh the same God. test that Dr. A already don't know. I've already done that. Well, let me try it. But, you know, that's more cost. That's more time. Yeah, and let's just remind everyone, again, we're in America. Yes. So even when we do have insurance, these this actually became a part of our budget was the co-pays. Well, and the thing is, too, is like I had a problem where Dr. A wanted to run a test. And Dr. B is like, well, I want to run that test, too. But the insurance said, no, you just had that test. We're not yeah. going to cover it. And so Dr. B is like, well, you know, how I know that they did theirs right. Yeah, you know, or and, which lab did they use? Right. And so they, they, they question it. And so they want me to wait until it's available again, which is usually six months to a year later that they can run the same test again. And it's like, but all that time in between, I still have a problem here. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do not get less sick as time goes on. Right. And so, you know, that referral after referral after referral to, you know, different kinds of doctors, different doctors, and you have to go through explaining it to them over and over and over. I got really good at shorthand of, I'd walk into the new doctor's office and go, okay, here's the problem I've been dealing with, here's how long it's been going on, and I had like, just like a laundry list of like, here's what we've tried, we've tried this, we've tried this, we've tried this, we've tried this. And the last time I did that, the doctors looked at me and goes, how long has this been going on? <laughs> I said, about three years, and he's like, I've never in all my years had someone walk in and have that much information for me right off the bat, because I feel overwhelmed, and I never feel overwhelmed. <laughs> Live it day to day. Yeah. 
Yeah, my mom actually has my, um, I'm a 40 year old woman, I still can't keep track of all of my medical stuff, but in my defense, part of my disorder is brain fog. And she has, it was the size of War and Peace. Like my, my medical files are so big that I dislocated my wrist when I picked it up off. <laughs> Which I thought was the ultimate irony. Yeah, that's a little bit ironic. That was fun. Well, with the referral after referral, you can get bounced um, back and forth between departments, which can get really confusing. And it gets confusing for everyone, including the people who are the doctors, and they're not sure who, who should take responsibility. Yeah, because uh, there's a, a line of, you know, well, this person's on this side of the organization, this person's on this side of the organization, and they don't talk to each other. So I had one time that I got sent to a specialist, went back to my doctor, and it was like three weeks before the information got back across this imaginary divider line from the same thing to get him, oh yeah, he has this problem. Oh, great. That's one thing I do like about Stanford, and I don't like a lot about Stanford, but (laughs) (laughs) I really love that if you're within their facility, all of your records are right there. They, They just can pull up your name and then everything shows up, which is helpful, but even at Stanford with the POTS, it's like, are you autonomic? Are you in the brain section or are you at cardiology? And no one can agree (laughs) and no one has really good treatment ideas. So you just kind of bounce around. From what I understand, and this is a recent experience with my doctor, is that everything's much more electronic now than it was even five years ago. So those things of waiting for all the records to get Faxed over. Yes, they were faxed over. <laughs> we are children doesn't, of doesn't a different anymore. era. <laughs> um, one of the other things that I had happened um, when I was seeing one of the specialists um, about my, my knee and my feet, actually, I won't say he actually accused me. He came within a hair's breadth of accusing me. He's like, you know, if you want a pot card, you can get one much easier than going through all this. I'm like... A pot card? No, if I wanted a pot card, I know people, I, I know people, I know how to go that route if I want, that's what I wanted. Because here in California, um, in case you're somewhere else, um, it's been years now that you could get a, a card for medical marijuana for, you know, stress, anxiety, all these things. You wouldn't have to go through all the crap that I've gone through if that's what I really wanted. And I was, I want to say slightly offended that the, the insinuation was there that the whole reason I was going through all of these medical tests was just to get a pot card. And it's like, no, let me explain something to you. I've never done any illegal drugs in my entire life. And yes, I know that it's legal, whatever, but I have never done anything that wasn't directly prescribed by my doctor my entire life. And so the insinuation was just really, ins- I, I was incensed. <laughs> and it's, this also brings up a different issue, which I think we're on the lucky side of, and that's privilege. You yeah. and I are both very pale. Yes. And we're a certain socioeconomic class. Yes. And so all the stuff we're talking about, the difficult stuff that we're dealing with is nothing compared to someone who has even less resources than we have. Or like I have friends who are tattooed near the face or at the neck and they look tough and they're like some of the most awesome humans. And the yeah. amount of like, and we were talking about the pot thing, that's when I started realizing like drug seeking is one of the hardest aspects of getting diagnosed with an invisible illness because you don't look sick. It's not like you walked in after a shark bit your leg off, which I have used that excuse before for fun. Um, But it's not like there's a visible thing where they can go, oh my God, it's cancer. Oh my God, it's this thing that I have an absolute understanding of the pain levels. It is this thing that they might have heard of once in a seminar in medical school. And when we come in and they look at us and they're like, oh, okay, well, they're hurting, we'll deal. But if someone who comes in who does not fit 
their idea of what someone who is not drug seeking would look like or act like or yeah. seem like it can get really dodgy on getting the diagnosis and also getting the medicine you need. Thank you to the political climate, which yeah. has now decided that most of the drugs that keep me standing and functioning, which I have never, ever even used to the amount they prescribe, is now a danger zone. So Yeah, and I, and I for my pain management on my feet, I have Vicodin and stuff like this. But, I mean, I had a prescription of Vicodin that was last filled, I want to say in February. Oh, that's so now, cute. <laughs> I know. It's now <laughs> September. And, you know, I still have, you know, three quarters of the bottle left because I only take it um, like when I went to Disneyland with my daughter, yeah. I took it there because, you know, I'm on my feet all day and I'm in agony. Uh, but unless I have something that's where I have to be physically active and I know it's going, you know, I, I, you know, I've already gone through, I've taken the, the, um, ibuprofen and stuff like this and nothing's cutting it. Then I'll finally take one. But I, even then I wait as long as I can to take it, which, you know, there's a, I, I feel like I'm a little stupid for, yeah, I'm going to put myself through a lot more pain than I need to because I'm stubborn about taking this pill because, you know, I've heard about the opioid epidemic. Yeah, I, someone's got to explain to me someday how this is fun. I, yeah, right. Because I, don't, I honestly do not understand how this is fun, except that I'm really enjoying that I can be at least as active as I am right now. That's the fun of opiates for me is like, yay, I could actually get up and maybe try to like run the vacuum for 10 minutes. Or Have you seen the commercial for the, they've got a new drug out to help with the fact that opioids, so if you don't know this, when you're on opioids, they make you very constipated. Oh gosh. And so now they have a new drug. To help with that. To help with the constipation you get from taking opioids. And it's like, the What? The round circle of all of this. And then, you know, when you go into a new doctor and you're trying to get... is I actually now have to go back to... Through this whole roundabout thing, which I very happily stepped off of the diagnosis roundabout. I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia. I was diagnosed with POTS. I was diagnosed with other stainless. And I was like, great, I'm done. Cool. It took 20-some years, but I've got my diagnoses. We're fucking finished now. And then all of a sudden I couldn't keep down water. And I was throwing up everything, and I was swelling like crazy, and all this crazy stuff was happening, and I hadn't thought about it in years because I had all these weird symptoms that just didn't fit with an actual disorder that I had been right. diagnosed with. So I was like, we're just going to ignore that those ever happened. <laughs> we have the diagnosis, just be quiet, be good, it's done. And now it's not to a point where I can ignore it anymore because there will be days that I will throw up everything and thank you pot because that's kind of the only way I could keep food down. So now I have to go back into this whole roundabout system to discuss mast cell activation, which is another sister of Ehlers-Danlos and it's basically your histamines go nuts and think you're allergic to water or food or everything. And we just went to lunch before we recorded this podcast <laughs> and she had like four bites of her lunch and that was it. I should look like Kate Moss by all rounds of how much I eat so screw this it's not fair um and it's weird because I was thinking I hadn't thought about this whole process in a long time I very happily buried it I'm good at compartmentalizing <laughs> so good at it and um the idea of jumping back into this makes me want to scream because I'm going to face the same things again of Am I in allergies? Am I in autoimmune? Am I, and I don't know how worth it it is to actually run after this diagnosis. There's no treatment for any of the things I have. 
There's some pills that they can give you to manage some symptoms, but there's no getting better from this stuff, which I think is probably another thing we're going to have to have a lovely podcast about is the understanding of what chronic and degenerative means. Yes. (laughs) But it's very sweet when people tell us to get better. Yes. But we'll do that another time. But as far as like going back in, I think that is a big question for a lot of people who are looking at invisible illnesses where there is no getting better is what's the use of the diagnosis if you're not looking at aside from that it it gives you that sense of like you're not crazy not crazy and there's a definite reason for this but you're going to be jumping into a lot of medications that don't have an end right or you know that like with me with mine that it's not even that i have medications that it's this is just your new normal yeah you know your new normal is you have to be careful whenever you eat out you have to be careful whenever you eat anything packaged. You have to be careful when, you know, you have to be hyper vigilant. You know, I, I wasn't doing the grocery shopping for our house until this happened to me with the dairy allergy because, you know, they'd bring stuff home and I'd look at the ingredients and go, oh, nope, I can't have this, I can't have this, I can't have this. And so part of the reason I took on doing all the grocery shopping was just so that I could be hyper vigilant of what all came into our house for food. See, I do that because my husband would almost, like, shop like a kid. So. <laughs> it's not as serious, but I know everything's organic if I shop. Except the marshmallow fluff, which, thank you very much, is now my addiction, <laughs> damn you. <laughs> I can't help it. When we went to, to England for that wedding, I found the strawberry marshmallow fluff, and it's so good. Yeah, he is really responsible for most of my bad habits now. Wait, what? Yeah, no, seriously. Mm-mm. No, no, no. Yeah, Texas, I, I, midnight Texas, cheesy as hell. I'm totally addicted, and we no, are getting off topic. No, cheesy, I couldn't have it. <laughs> oh, oh, but I'm bummed. This is why I like him so much. Um, so I think we're kind of coming to the end of what I we think so, too. So I really hope you come back for next month, because we are going to be talking about sex, and that's always a fun topic. And you're going to get two totally different perspectives. Oh, yeah. Sex, disability, and their intersection. Yep. Intersection. Oh, 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 oh. Sorry, I take no responsibility for his bad puns. None. You can talk to his husbands about that. Oh, no. They both hate him, too. So. <laughs> and we're going to be talking about relationships and how invisible illness will affect dating and sex and relationships and love and all the rest of it. Yeah. So please stay tuned for that and yes. tune in, say hello, leave us nice reviews. Yes. And until be next kind. time, be kind, be gentle. Be, and be a badass. And be a fucking badass. <laughs>